Greetings. You have wandered upon Broomstay Witchery, a podcast that explores all things pagan. My name is Sabrin Whitethorn, and I'll be your guide. So grab yourself some tea and come talk a spell with me. The top three questions people ask when they find out I'm Wiccan are these. The first, is it or are you evil and do you worship Satan? Well, if you've been listening long enough and have heard any of my sarcasm, you know by now that no, I'm not evil. At least, not on a normal day. I mean, pour too much coffee into the two-inch hole in my face and then poke me with a stick relentlessly like Nandor for a while and we'll see what happens. We all have our limits. I'm not one of those witches who will preach light and love, friends. Do I try to stay as positive as possible? Yes. I do try to see the room for growth and opportunity in most things. Do I believe that light and love will solve everything? No. Take that shit far, far away from me. A lot of this comes back to Wicca and how Wiccans are viewed within the pagan community. I may be Wiccan, but my views on the threefold law and harm none are probably highly different than most. Don't make the mistake of thinking all Wiccans won't open up if poked with a stick. Does this make me evil? I suppose that depends on your personal definition of evil. And I think this is a subject for another episode. But no, I don't worship Satan. I don't believe in the Abrahamic form of Satan. The second question is usually, do you dance naked in the woods with a bunch of other women? If I'm being honest, this is usually asked by men and is almost always asked as a half joke. They try to hide it with humor, but part of them really wants to know. And I've learned over the years that it's not all about sex. It's not because they're trying to be dirty. It's a mix of humor, usually in an effort to show that they're not afraid to chat with me about this subject, and genuine interest. It's asked in almost the same way that one might ask, what do you women really do in the bathroom together? It's almost like it holds an air of mystery, and they just really, really want to know. Now, imagine their reaction when I explain that some covens do work skyclad. And, by the way, there are often male witches there, too. Immediate subject change. And the third question I get most often is, what does your altar look like? Or if they've seen my altar, what are all those things for? I absolutely love this question. This is the first question I would ask if I wasn't pagan and saw someone's altar space, because they're always so different and unique to the person. Even today, when I see another pagan's altar, I am fascinated by the items they have and how they differ from my own. You can learn so much about another witch by seeing their altar and tools, and learn so much in general from them by how they use them. Right now, we're living in a cancel and appropriation culture, and it sucks. These are heavy and controversial subjects, so of course I'm going to dive right into them in future episodes, as they hold much validity and even more opinion. But today, I'm going to say this much. Tell me a time when you haven't seen an item or tool another witch was using and immediately wanted it. Or see a different way they used something and immediately thought, why didn't I think of that? How can I use this in my own practice? Set the term appropriation aside, because that's not even what the idea of appropriation is meant for. And answer this question honestly for yourself. 
It's so much fun to learn from others, and chances are pretty high that if a witch is open to showing you how they do something, or how they use their tools, or what their altar looks like, they're not going to care if you adopt bits and pieces of it for yourself. Sometimes trying a different way of doing something can help us grow. Should you just copy everything they do and say? I mean, you could. But I'd encourage you to take the base work of what someone shows you and change it or build off of it and make it your own. There's nothing wrong with that. In Season 1, Episode 6, I very, very briefly touched upon the fact that in different traditions or paths of Wicca, some paths are fairly open with their rituals and practices. Some may allow information about their processes to be public, while others keep their knowledge very intimately held within their covens. In many cases, only those initiated into a coven will learn or understand certain practices or rituals within that tradition. The reason I'm mentioning this again is because it does filter down into what we're talking about today, and I'd like to note, this is not specific to Wicca. This is the case within different traditions of witchcraft in general. As I stated before, you do not have to be Wiccan in order to be a witch or practice witchcraft. Covens within witchcraft do not have to be Wiccan, and in fact are often not. Witchcraft also has different traditions or paths, and witches may consider themselves part of these traditions. There are folk witches, hedge witches, kitchen witches, green witches, and many, many other different paths of witchcraft. You can scour the internet and find a plethora of information about some, and next to nothing about others, and this is for the same reason, especially when you start getting into hereditary witchcraft. Hereditary witches learn specifically from family members and pass their information along to the next generation, and no one else. You'll see this in the form of social media often. Some pagans on Instagram, for instance, may show their altar or book of shadows and photos often, talking about certain items they use or even showing their rituals or parts of their rituals for the world to see. Other pagans on social media will never show you their altar. They may talk about altars and advise on how you might set one up, but you'll never see their personal altar, whether it's forbidden within their tradition to share with those outside or whether it's their personal choice not to share it, it's their sacred space and no one else will see it in photographs. Most often, it's probably a bit of both. Pagans on social media may show you parts of their altar or specific tools from their altar, but there may be areas they don't show or items they remove from their altars for photos. Some photos may be staged specifically for the photos, to show how an altar may be set up for a Sabbath, for instance. It may be only an example and not that witch's actual setup. And often, with rituals shown on Instagram or TikTok, you're seeing a very basic and base form of that ritual. That witch is assuming that you will take the base work of that ritual and make it your own. They may not be showing you everything they do or exactly how they work their magic. What they're offering you is knowledge, bits and pieces of what they do that you can build from. When I decided to start this podcast, I had to make this decision for myself. My goals were to educate, but also to learn and grow with others in the community. I had to decide if it was okay with me to share my altar, tools, book of shadows, spell work, rituals, and opinions with the world. What were my limitations? What was I okay with having public? And what wasn't I okay with? 
This was, of course, also a discussion I had with my coven. What practices will I be public about, and what practices within our tradition were not going to be spoken of within the podcast? This is just individual, and every witch will feel differently about it. So why am I telling you this? For two reasons. The first, this idea of gatekeeping within the pagan community. This is yet another heavy and controversial topic that will eventually have its own episode, but for today's discussion, it needs to be said. Get out from behind your gate with the gatekeeping. Get over it. Does that seem harsh? Listen. The term gatekeeping is widely misunderstood and often just overused as a word in general without any knowledge behind what it actually means. We see this term thrown around like marble candy. If Dude Buddy Joe doesn't share his full ritual online, he's gatekeeping. If Sally Ann Smith refuses to talk to me about where she got her rune set, she's gatekeeping. No. First of all, this is inaccurate. And second, if they were gatekeeping, there's a reason for that. It may be that Dude Buddy Joe doesn't want everyone on Instagram to ride the wave of his education, but to instead get their own. No witch is obligated to share their craft. There's no rule or law that states that any of us must be open with our way of doing things. And Sally Ann Smith may be part of a tradition that does not share their knowledge outside their own path. Not all things that are labeled as gatekeeping are actually gatekeeping. And if they are, gatekeeping is not always a bad thing. In the last episode, when I said that usually someone who keeps knowledge to themselves that is widely known within the pagan community is probably full of shit or doesn't know what they're talking about, this is not what I meant. What I meant was for someone to say, I'll cleanse this tool or item for you because it's too complicated a process for you to understand, and I'm not going to show you how to do it for yourself either because it's too advanced for you, so I'll do it for you at home by myself. This was in reference to the situation I discussed in the last episode about the witch in my coven whose friend decided to make herself feel more important by completely withholding an extremely common practice that isn't in any way meant to be complicated. That's not the same thing as saying gatekeeping isn't always bad. Again, we'll revisit this term in a future episode. And second... To come back to what I've reiterated many, many times already within this podcast, that there's no one way to practice. I'm going to share a lot of my personal opinions throughout these episodes. Does that make my opinion right? No, it makes it my opinion. And I'm going to share a lot of rituals and processes that I practice. Does this make these things the right or only way to do them? Absolutely not. It's just my way, or part of my way. Please understand that when I give my opinion, I'm not asking you to fall in line and see things my way, and that when I share a practice, I'm offering a baseline for you to work off. You may hate my way of doing things and decide to find a better way for yourself, and that's great. I encourage self-education. All I'm offering is one way and one opinion. When you get right down to the overall picture, the point I'm trying to make with this podcast is that the world of paganism is vast, and no one, no one 
is stuck to one way of doing anything. So let's talk altars, friends. In today's episode, we'll discuss what an altar is, what the possible etymology of altars consists of, and we'll take a look at a few different types of altars within paganism and how they might be set up. An altar is a structure with a flat upper surface, such as a table, desk, or low shelving unit with a top. Or outdoors could be a tree stump or flat-topped rock, or a structure built up from stone or wood that is used as a holy, sacred, or peaceful place to focus religious and spiritual practices. It can be used for ritualistic purposes, meditations, communications with deities, to give offerings or sacrifices, for purposes of study and religious education, and to set the tone for other religious or spiritual work. Altars can be kept to one small surface or can be one small part of an altar area or spiritual space that expands into a corner of the room, a small closet, an attic or basement space, or can even be expanded to an entire room. An altar can be set up permanently, always visible and available to use, or can be easily broken down and set up only when needed. They can even be miniaturized for use outdoors or when traveling. Altars are common in many religions, practices, and cultures throughout the world. Some of these include paganism, such as witchcraft and Wicca, Norse heathenry, Buddhism, and Hinduism, or in Christianity and Judaism. Altars vary from religion to religion, within traditions or paths of spirituality, and by personal preference and significance, and can be as simplistic or as complex as a person wants or needs it to be. So when we look at the etymology of altars, there's a few different things to consider. When and how were altars created, who created them, and why they're called altars? Let's look at the final question first. It's thought that the word altar comes from the Latin altar, meaning high altar for sacrifice to the great gods, or the Latin word adalir, to worship or honor by burning sacrifices. It's possible that the term means burnt offerings, and that it's influenced by the Latin word altus, meaning high. The concept of who created altars and when they were created is almost too simplistic to really contemplate. The honest answer is that people created altars probably in the earliest days of humanity, simply when they needed a flat surface to set anything down. The ground, a flat stone, a ledge inside a cave, a tree stump or piece of wood. The options are limitless. As to when these surfaces became a place of worship, all we do know for sure is that this concept far predates Christianity, when people regarded trees and rocks as holy or inhabited by gods and spirits, and communicated with, and left offerings for, these higher powers on raised platforms. In the Bible, altars were erected to make animal and bird sacrifices, in which the blood was thrown at the base of the altar and the carcasses were burned on top, lending further confusion to why pagans are often viewed as evil and accused of making animal sacrifices on their altars of evil doing. But moving on. Let's take a look at a few examples of altars throughout different religions or practices. Again, these are not always going to be the same. They will differ from path to path and person to person. These are only examples, and I'm giving only the base ideas for the altars. While some people will use just these base minimalistic tools in their altars, many others will have altars that are much more complex and personalized. A Butsudan is a Buddhist altar or shrine. 
It typically has three levels, usually built by placing wooden risers on top of each other to form levels, or three shelves on top of each other. On the uppermost level is usually placed a statue or image of the Buddha, as you want this image to be placed above any other images. Sometimes a mantra written on paper replaces the image of Buddha, and is even preferable in some traditions of Buddhism. On the next level down may be images of a Buddhist teacher like the Dalai Lama or the Laughing Buddha, or of guardian images like the lion dogs that are common at the entrances of South Asian monasteries. On the lowest level, there may be a bowl of water or singing bowl on a cushion, or a bell is often placed, and usually offerings of food, flowers, candles, and incense. Sometimes stupas and prayer wheels are also placed on the altar. An altar in Hinduism is called a pujagar. They can be made of any material, but sandalwood is often preferred. These altars are either placed in a quiet corner or separate room of the home, which faces northeast. The deities are all placed on the same level of the altar and should never be placed on different levels. Items placed on the Hindu altars can include bells, lamps or candles, incense, and water, although they're not limited to these items. Heathens or Norse pagans keep altars both inside and outside. Often, they're dedicated to multiple Norse gods, although some dedicate their altars to a single deity they hold in highest regard. Outdoor altars are often used to leave food offerings or to pour libations. Indoor altars often consist of offering bowls, images or symbols of the gods they worship, although not all Norse pagans keep images of their gods on their altars, and decorations of their choice. Fire is needed for their altar, so for indoor altars, candles and incense are often used. Wiccan altars and altars for witchcraft are often very similar, although they may have more or less items than each other, and for some witches' altars, the deity aspect may be removed. That is dependent upon that individual witch's religious and spiritual views. The altar I'm about to describe is a common or base altar used for Wicca. Again, I must stress that not all witches are Wiccan, so not all witches will have or use the exact same tools, and not all witches will incorporate the items with the same meaning. As for the surface, I've seen witches put their altars on flat surfaces, surfaces that are raised, for instance a desk with a hutch behind it, in which they use both the flat surface area and the shelves above. I've seen altars as small as a placemat and as large as an entire room. Again, this is all by personal choice. A base Wiccan altar will typically include an altar cloth. These can be decorative and change with the seasons, but are also used to catch ash, candle wax, and oil to keep the altar surface clean. The four elements are almost always represented, and there are many ways the elements can be symbolized, but generally it's very simplistic. Water for water, salt or dirt for earth, candles or incense for fire, and incense or feathers for air. Wiccans will keep two or sometimes three base candles on their altar, one to represent the goddess, one to represent the god, and, if they choose, a third candle, which is considered a spell or working candle. Sometimes this third candle is considered to be the spirit candle, or it is sometimes not present at all. There are also usually some kind of small image or statues depicting the goddess and god which are kept near their respective candles. 
These can be the general shape of male and female to represent the god and goddess form in which the practitioner understands represents all gods and goddesses, or they can be a specific deity that practitioner holds in highest regard. Some witches represent only the goddess or female form on their altars, while others represent both the god and goddess. Altars also typically include a cup or chalice, an altar bell or singing bowl, sometimes both, an athame or wand, or sometimes both, and a representation of the pentacle, usually in the form of a tablet that lays flat on the surface. Lastly, most altars will include either an offering bowl, a cauldron, or a burning bowl or cup of some kind. The layout of a Wiccan altar can differ, but is often looked at in the form of a pentacle itself. Each direction of the pentacle, which represents north, south, west, and east, also represents an element. So as an example, south is fire, so the fire element may be placed in the south position of the pentacle on the altar. This is not always the case, as again, each witch will choose to set their altars up differently. I myself set up my altar as a bit of a mix between the layout of a pentacle and in a goddess and god format. My altar is essentially split down the middle. The left side, for me, represents the goddess, so the left side of my altar holds my silver candle to represent the moon and the goddess, along with my goddess image. My chalice sits on the goddess side as it represents the feminine, and water and earth are both feminine elements and reside on this side as well. On the god side, I use a gold candle to represent the sun, or god, have my god image, as well as fire and air to represent the masculine elements, and my athame, when out, goes on the god side of my altar as a masculine symbol as well. Down the center of my altar, or in between the goddess and god, I have my working or spirit candle and my workspace, which includes a tablet, pentacle representation, and is where I set my cauldron when it's being used on my altar. In Wicca, the chalice or cup is considered the feminine as it represents the womb, or it represents the growth of intention that gives birth to your final outcome. And the wand or athame is considered the masculine as it holds phallic representation. I know some male or non-binary witches who prefer to consider the chalice to represent the universe and have an actual phallic symbol, such as a candle in the shape of a penis, on their altar to represent the male energy. And other witches who do not believe in deities may have something on their altar to represent masculine energy, such as a phallic candle, and to represent the feminine energy, such as a candle in the shape of breasts or a vagina. As always, there's no right or wrong way. In future episodes, I'll go into more depth on the tools of a Wiccan altar and their uses, as well as different ways you can set up your altar or represent the elements within your craft. But today, I wanted to give a fairly general idea of an altar layout. I'm going to keep this week's episode fairly short, as last week I hit you with a 58-minute episode. But before we part ways, I'd like to give a small shout-out to various pagan accounts on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok that I find educational or entertaining, Etsy or online shops that are pagan-based, websites, books, products, and physical stores that are pagan-written, crafted, owned, and operated. This week, I'd like to shine my pagan spotlight on the Instagram account, The Dreamy Druidess. She's a healing arts educator and womb healer who teaches with heart, soul, and art in Marietta, Georgia. This energetic soul has shamanistic and wolfy ways and has such a beautiful view of the world. 
I always feel her purpose with each post she makes, and I love the way she speaks about loving yourself and your body, embracing mindfulness and kindness within yourself. I'll link her Instagram and website in the podcast description if you'd like to show her a little love and support. And Broomies, if you've made it this far, I'd like to tack on a tiny bit of sweep talk to the end of today's episode. You may have noticed a new link pop up at the bottom of each podcast description that says support the show. This link will take you to the Buy Me a Coffee platform in which listeners can show their support for the podcast in a monetary format. I've made the choice not to incorporate a Patreon or ads within this podcast, as I personally find they remove me from the mindset of what I'm listening to and feel invasive at times. Instead, I've decided to simply include this link at the end of each description for anyone who might want to show a little love. And I'd also like to note that love does not have to come in the form of monetary donations. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via Facebook or Instagram, or send me a quick email to broomstavewitchery at gmail.com with questions, suggestions, or even a quick hello. See you next week when we'll explore the Wiccan Sabbath of Imbolc. Thank you for conjuring up some time to spend with me today. And until next time, Broomies, remember, don't drink and fly. 